Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Find them online at rbcarcompany.com. All right. Um, the ACLU <clears throat> actually did something better than me for once, which is rare. Uh, it's not something that they're, they, they get to make a lot of claims about. But I had... I had COVID on Thursday last week, and because I had COVID on Thursday last week, I didn't really put this the way that it should have been put. The menthol cigarette ban, <clears throat> so they're, they're going to ban menthol cigarettes. Now, remember, they're banning menthol cigarettes because menthol cigarettes disproportionately affect black smokers. Uh, apparently, black smokers really like menthol, whereas other smokers, not so much. Um, so... The ban on menthol cigarettes is being pushed as a way to save black lives in order to remove, I guess, systemic racism in the the big tobacco trade, right? Well, the ACLU um, has launched a complaint saying that the menthol cigarette ban is racist. (laughs) And I should have come up with that, but I was sick in the early stages of covid Uh, When we looked at the FDA's expected ban of menthol cigarettes earlier this week, I raised several questions about both the efficacy of such a plan in terms of promoting better health and the way that the subject immediately became the focus of racial controversy. Thus far, the only arguments I've heard in terms of the health benefits of such a ban seem like fairly weak tea. But when it comes to the racialized nature of the debate, it turns out that I wasn't the only one who found the descriptions being used uh, to be off-putting, the Ameri- this is um, this is uh, hotair.com Jazz Shaw. <clears throat> the American Civil Liberties Union has already weighed in on the subject, saying that the menthol ban will disproportionately affect communities of color. Yeah, that was the point of the ban, though. The point of the ban was to disproportionately affect communities of color because somehow menthol cigarettes are worse than regular cigarettes and uh, and made them more addictive because they made them easier to smoke, and therefore that's why. So many black people smoke. Like I said, it, it, it didn't make any sense when I read it to you last week, but <laughs> the ACLU's tact is completely opposite. <clears throat> While I tend to agree that turning this into a race-based argument seems to be silly at a minimum and potentially offensive, I'm not sure that the ACLU is coming at this question from the same perspective as I was. <laughs> the Biden administration is expected to announce a proposal to ban menthol cigarettes later this week, a move that some groups have been wanting for a long time, while others say that it will lead to more incarceration and negatively impact communities of color. As I've told you before, um, I told you to start getting your pipelines of Native American suppliers in, in you know, tightened up. So make sure you have your supply lines all ready to go. The American Civil Liberties Union and other groups sent a letter to the Biden administration earlier this week pushing back against a potential ban on menthol cigarettes. The group said that such a move would disproportionately impact people and communities of color, trigger criminal penalties, and lead to negative interactions with law enforcement. <clears throat> now, remember, was it Eric Garner, the I Can't Breathe guy in New York who was selling cigarettes? Is that who that was? Um, yep, yeah, it was Eric Garner. There we go. <clears throat> um, so the letter also points to those cases where cigarettes were involved, adding that well-intentioned efforts to continue to reduce death and disease from tobacco products 
must avoid solutions that will create yet another reason for armed police to engage citizens on the street based on pretext or conduct that does not pose a threat to public safety. These groups argue that a ban on menthol cigarettes would disproportionately impact communities of color, result in criminalization of the market, and exacerbate mass incarceration. Look, I don't know how many of you are aware of black market cigarettes and and how they work in in a lot of places in the country. Um, This came up in the Eric Garner situation in New York. You know, part of the reason that he was out there selling cigarettes illegally uh, after smuggling them is because New York made it unbearably expensive to be able to smoke. Now, there is this logic, air quote, this logic that if you make things so expensive, people just won't do them anymore. Being an addict is one of the most expensive things that can happen to you. The thing is, is that you don't care. This is what the the basic fundamentals that people just don't quite understand. Well, if we make it too expensive for you to start, then, then maybe you'll never start. Okay, but you've already got millions of people who've already started. So now you've got to, you've got to figure out how you want to do this. You want to create a black market? You want people to be out there selling individual cigarettes on the streets? Getting approached by police officers? Resisting arrest? Police officers have to take them down. That person who's got health issues all of a sudden dies. Next thing you know, we've got riots again. I mean, because that's kind of what the ACLU is arguing here, is that you're going to create this situation because you're going to criminalize this. And then smuggling is going to become a problem. <clears throat> and smuggling cigarettes has become a major issue everywhere that has tried to tax cigarettes or to ban cigarettes or, or whatever, everywhere in the world, especially in the Western world. Again, talk to me uh, about Canada in the 1970s and 80s, and how the mafia made a ton of money smuggling cigarettes. A ton of money smuggling cigarettes. And people don't realize this. This is big mafia business. Not that long ago, in a modern country in Canada, particularly in Montreal and Quebec, huge issues with cigarette smuggling in Canada. Led to people... Um, obviously getting murdered led to uh, a crime rate, led to um, gangs rising up, motorcycle gangs in particular, who worked with the mafia as as a go-between with the United States. This this is the type of stuff that Dino Bravo, a famous uh, WWF wrestler, was murdered because of this. This This is a big deal. And when I was in Washington State, there was a lot of smuggling that was happening in Washington State. Of course, Washington State thought that they could tax cigarettes. Well, the problem is that in Washington State, uh, you kind of interweave in and out of Native American land and non-Native American land. And so periodically, you'd just be driving down the road, and all of a sudden, there would be a Native American tobacco shop. And it just exists like in this little plot of Native American land, right in the middle of non-Native American land. And you can go in and you could buy those cigarettes. You wouldn't have to pay the tax. Uh, and then you can come back out and you could leave. Well, a lot of people would just go there as regular customers, but people would also go there and bulk up and then they would sell it to their friends. And now you've got a black market situation happening. So it happens a lot. People get arrested for it um, because you're only supposed to buy it for your own consumption, that sort of thing. But the moment you transfer it, it becomes a crime. So this, this is the position that the ACLU is taking is that, look, you're, you're creating a situation that we already saw with Eric Garner in New York where 
you are taking a specific type of cigarette that disproportionately impacts black Americans who smoke because you're saying you're trying to save those black Americans. You don't care about everybody else who smokes the other cigarettes. You only care about these cigarettes because it impacts black people. So everybody else who's dying from cigarettes, screw them. They're irrelevant. They're not important because they're less important than black Americans who smoke. So we're going to go ahead and ban these things in order to save black lives, because that's what we have to do, because black lives matter. So we're going to save black lives by not allowing black people who choose to smoke menthol to be able to smoke menthol anymore. Do you think they're just going to switch brands? Now, I assume somewhere there is some pasty white harpy lady who's probably 50 years old who's going, if we just get rid of menthol cigarettes, they'll just stop smoking. I, <laughs> I assume that there is some lady out there in this whole process who actually thinks that not only are they not going to stop smoking, they'll try another brand or something like that. It won't be as good. And then next thing you know, we start dealing with an underground black market menthol cigarette supply chain in the United States of America. And mark my words, native American tribes will be all too happy to make that supply. No reason why they wouldn't be. The cartels will get involved at some point. And next thing you know, you're going to have people out there slinging menthol cigarettes. Because <laughs> menthol cigarettes are illegal, while other cigarettes are legal. But the only, the only reason that menthol cigarettes are illegal is because they're preferred by black smokers. But the other cigarettes were, you know, just as deadly, maybe more so, are, are okay because they're preferred by, you know, whites and, and Latinos and, that, and Asians. And, you know, screw those people. So it's just the weirdest, most bizarre thing. So the ACLU's position is it's unfairly targeting black Americans for contact with the police because it's going to criminalize behavior that is otherwise totally legal. And they're not wrong. I mean, they're, they're not wrong. Let's be perfectly honest. They're, they're not at all wrong. So I missed the, the racial component here on, <clears throat> on how the ACLU... Uh, presented it when I talked about this last Thursday. I fully blame COVID. Uh, I told you I was kind of out of it when I did Thursday's show. I don't think it was a very good show, but um, this is this is just bizarre type stuff. I mean, when they were presenting it, I think I was more focused on the whole, wow, uh, we're going to ban this type of cigarette because it's killing black Americans, but we're just going to let everybody else who isn't, isn't black continue to smoke what they smoke because... We don't care if they die. Interesting position to take as the federal government. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Don't forget, you can watch us live. Trovo.live slash Casey, the host. T-R-O-V-O dot live slash Casey, the host. And you watch the live stream here. Uh, premium subscribers from now on will also be able to get a video of this show every single day. I should say almost every single day. So I'll do my best to get a video uh, up there at special.tv for premium subscribers so you can watch the show if you missed it every single day if you choose to. All right. Um, I ran into this article here, and this is kind of interesting. I've had a lot of people reaching out to me lately saying, hey, that school board thing that you've been hitting me over the head with for the past 15 years of your career, Casey, I'm going to start doing that and I'm going to go to the school board meeting and I'm going to try and impact what is happening with our kids going forward. 
Um, by the way, um, Texas school board, like total revolt in Texas school board, uh, all got um, um, a very contentious election. I would, they didn't all get voted out, but they took control. Um, the good guys took control of the school board. So people who were opposed to critical race theory and opposed to forcing your kids to wear, you know, three and four masks all the time. So those people um, were able to take over the school board against the people who are pro-critical race theory, uh, pro-keeping, you know, a bunch of face diapers on your kids and all that stuff. So all of these things have started to shift, and we have highlighted a lot of these stories uh, as of late. And what's ended up happening is there's a lot, there's a lot of people who are, they're done with it. And I did say that there's some positive things that will come out of this pandemic. And one of which I, I hope that more people are spending more time with their family because a lot of people were forced to spend more time with their family. I also hope that a lot of parents were going to be more in tune with what their kids are learning. They were going to finally understand how ridiculous common core math is. And they were going to start to understand some of the assignments that they were being given and how some of these teachers, not all, most teachers are great, but how some of these teachers behave. We have caught so many school boards on camera and on hot mics attacking parents, attacking students. Um, we've got a, a couple of professors who are just caught on a hot mic laughing hysterically about how they're promoting Marxism and socialism to students. Okay, There's a lot of this stuff that because of the very nature of parents having to be involved with e-learning and things of that nature, that they were going to be more in tune with and they were going to realize people like me who are blowing the whistle on this for a very long period of time were not crazy. We were telling the truth. And now a lot of these people are getting it. Uh, you had this situation in uh, it was Australia, right, where they made, they made all of the male students stand up and apologize to all of the female students because of rape culture. I got news. There isn't a rape culture in the Western world. There's a rape culture in the Middle Eastern world. There isn't one in the Western world. There is no culture that finds it acceptable to rape women. And for the record, a lot of men get raped. A lot. Nobody talks about that. And I'm talking about outside of prison. Here's something else that never gets talked about. Mothers. I know Mother's Day is coming up. And I know that we've got Biden out there trying to hand $300 checks to moms instead of dads, you know, because screw dad. Um, mothers are more likely to abuse children. That's a fact. And it's a large percentage more than fathers. A dramatically large percentage more in the United States of America. Yet fathers don't win custody. There's a lot of things that we could discuss about a bunch of this stuff. But at least some of it is being forced upon good parents to actually see what is happening with their kids. Some of it. And a lot of them, a lot of people have been reaching out to me. I'm going to my school board meeting. That's it. I'm going to start laying, laying waste. Some of them are asking me for help. Some of them are just like, I'm just letting you know. Uh, keep an eye in, on the news just in case anything happens. <clears throat> okay. That's great. So I ran into um, this article here from Scott Moorfield. Now, I've already been telling you all of the scientific data on schools, masking, all of that stuff. I've been giving you that data um, literally going back to before March of 2020. But we're going to spend some time here in this next segment going over this because there is, there is a group that asks school districts in the United States to voluntarily submit data on COVID infections 
among faculty, and among students, and whether or not there are mask mandates in that school or not. So we're going to go into all of that stuff here in, in the next segment, okay, after the news, because this is, this encompasses, they're saying, roughly about 20% of student enrollment in the United States. And the results naturally blew their minds. And I want to tell you about it. Because as we approach the end of the school year and everybody's trying to figure out what's going to happen with schools next year and more and more people are getting involved with, with uh, school boards and trying to realize, hey, 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 our school boards aren't exactly our friends all the time. We're going to have to address some of these things. So I have that data coming up because I think it's very, very important for parents to learn. So we'll talk about that next on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. All right, you go to allnaturalcbd.org. You can use my promo code, KC10, and you can pick up some CBD lotion. This is full-spectrum CBD, up to 1,000 milligrams. You can choose between 250, 500, and 1,000 milligrams of full-spectrum CBD. All-natural lavender scent or unscented, which is usually what I get. They also have CBD gummies to help you sleep. They've got CBD wellness shots. And uh, they've got just regular CBD gummies as well as dog treats and bath bombs and the tincture drops. And, of course, over 80 particular flavors of CBD e-liquid for you to go ahead and pick up. Allnaturalcbd.org, promo code KC10 to save 10%. You can also use that promo code at any local eSigWorks location. So if you go into eSigWorks, anyone in Michiana, you mention me and my discount code, you get 10% off. Uh, sometimes they have new employees. Sometimes that happens, and they don't they don't know about the discount code. So just ask for a manager. The managers will be able to help you. Uh, but again, allnaturalcbd.org promo code KC10 to save 10%. So let's take a look at this data. Now, this data that I was talking about with COVID and schools, okay? Because again, we're approaching the end of the school year. A lot of school systems are still trying to figure out exactly what how things are going to go next year, uh, and a lot of parents are pretty concerned about it. Brown University and Professor Emily Oster um, decided to <clears throat> go out there and get all of this data. Now, Professor Oster is not um, as <laughs> as uh, who's who's the article's author here, uh, Scott Moorfield over at Townhall.com. The way that he writes it is uh, Professor Emily Oster is hardly a member of Team Reality. When it comes to COVID, all right? In other words, they're a scaremonger. And we already know that 100% of the scientific data on schools show that schools are safe. 100%. There isn't a single speck of evidence that says otherwise. Not one. Doesn't exist anywhere. Not in the world, okay? So we already know this. The concern is always about faculty. Well, the faculty will get sick. Faculties get sick from their family. Faculties rarely get each other sick. We've already been over this. So anyway... <clears throat> But this is Brown University. So they decided to launch the COVID dashboard project. And the idea was to make up for the lack of coordinated federal effort to track COVID cases in context, unquote. Okay. Now, by in context, they mean with information on how many people were in person school and what mitigating factors allowed schools to operate safely. Okay. <clears throat> so. Oster um, put all of this together. The amount of data collected is 
It's not exhaustive, but it's, it's pretty huge. We launched the dashboard in early September. Our first announcement included about 100,000 in-person students. All of the data in that wave came from schools and districts that opted into the study to provide their information. These data provided a first early look at case rates in schools. The sample was selected, yes, but it provided a first look at cases, uh, case rates in schools. The most recent wave of data covering early February includes about 12 million students, of whom 6 million were in person. This is about 20% of all school enrollment in the United States. Okay, At this stage of the process, we still collect data from districts and schools who opt in, but we're also pulling in comprehensive data at either the school or district level from a number of states, New York, Texas, Massachusetts, and Florida. The result is data with less geographic balance, but significantly more representativeness and many more observations. Now, what's interesting about this, the article in townhall.com actually writes that back in March, Professor Oster felt that the data showed that masks probably matter a lot because of the increase in staff, not student rates, of infection in non-masked schools. Now, that was back in March. However, as data poured in, there has been a clear shift. Now, when you look at the data, when you look at the data, the schools that require masks have more infections across the board. Now, again, I have been pointing this out. There are virologists and epidemiologists all over the world who've been saying this for several months now. They are starting to think the masks are actually a problem. Now, why the masks are the problem, or maybe the problem, is still up for debate. There are some theories behind it. Most people are not wearing masks that are designed to actually work. Most people are not cleaning their masks. So you get COVID on the mask. The mask is now a spreader of COVID, not a preventer of getting COVID. Okay? Those are some some theories that epidemiologists have had, particularly in Europe, for a long time now. We have highlighted those experts many, many times. Again, it's all speculation at this point in time. But consistently, so if you look at the data that they have collected at Brown University, okay, the low to moderate community transmission, there's over 5,500 responders. Um, Schools with no masks, less infections with students, less infections with faculty. Substantial community transmission, over 17,000 responses. Students and faculty in schools with no mask requirement, less infections than student and faculty with mask requirements. Then you look at high community transmission with over 102,000 responses. There's actually double the infections at schools that require masks for staff than those who don't. It's about 20% more for students. So, again, this is Brown University. They decided to do this on their own because they felt the federal government wasn't tracking infections in schools in the United States well enough, and they wanted to have some comparison. What Professor Oster thought was going to happen when she started this project, she thought she was going to be the only researcher on this issue in the entire world to say, ha-ha, 
schools that require masks have less infections, less cases of COVID than schools that do not. This is something that has never been duplicated anywhere else. I went back to, remember, this basically got started in the suburb of Paris. They were the first ones to study school transmission. They were the very first ones way back at the beginning of the pandemic. They started to notice that people were not getting sick in elementary schools and they couldn't figure out what was going on because kids are supposed to be the worst dreaders of, of, of sickness, right? And one of the things that they found, which they always thought was curious, was that eventually, as time went on, they were studying, you know, schools when they, because when they, <clears throat> they stayed open there, um, that the more masks, the more infections. So Brown University, Professor Oster thought she was going to be the only person in the entire world to show otherwise. And her own data for low and moderate, for substantial, and for high community transmission of COVID shows in the United States of America, in a sample that represents about 20% of the American student body, 6 million in-person students, okay? She has found that in all three of those categories, schools that require masks of students have higher infection rates of students and faculty. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Now, again, there are some people who will just excuse that as well. That depends on the area of the country or whatever. Okay, if you want to just go ahead and excuse it, anybody can find a reason to dismiss data. But this data has been shown over and over and over again in multiple countries and in multiple data sets, peer-reviewed, and Brown University is just the latest one. So I, again, ask you some simple questions here. Is it potentially a case considering 79% of Americans were wearing masks in accordance with the CDC and WHO guidelines last summer when cases went down and everyone is declaring victory against COVID because we're all wearing masks. 79% of Americans were wearing masks. And then in September, when we had our latest surge, which ended up being the worst one of the pandemic, 79% of Americans were wearing masks at the beginning of that surge, went up almost to 90% as cases continued to climb. And in literally every other country on earth that had a mask mandate, they all had surges afterwards. In the United States, states that had very strict COVID restrictions, including mask mandates and mask fines, all had worse cases than places that didn't. Is it possible that some of these epidemiologists, particularly in Europe, who have looked at this and said, we might have some correlation here? And I know the correlation isn't causation, but is it possible that considering every speck of data that we have on mass shows more mass being worn, more cases of COVID? Is it possible that there might be a connection? And the latest of this is Brown University study of American public schools, schools that do not require masks, have less infections with students and faculty than schools that require masks for everybody all day. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I don't know what it is with uh, Michigan state representatives. So you had that one Michigan state representative who, who got arrested for DUI, fought the cops, and then basically name-dropped Gretchen Whitmer. And then 
uh, later on, more video was released of him uh, back at the uh, the jail talking about how he was going to make Gretchen Whitmer make these cops pay and all that other stuff. Well, now another representative, Brian uh, Posthumus, a Republican, is accused of hitting a mailbox and rolling over his vehicle. <laughs> what? Um, he's the son of the former lieutenant governor, was transported to the hospital where he was determined that he had a blood alcohol level of 0.13, nearly twice the legal limit. He issued an acknowledgement and an apology. I am deeply disappointed in myself for putting other people in jeopardy by driving while intoxicated. There is no excuse for what happened, and I take full and complete responsibility for my actions. I should never have tried to drive after drinking alcohol to my family, friends, colleagues, and constituents. Who I serve, I sincerely apologize and ask for forgiveness. Now, at least he didn't fight with the police and try to name drop Gretchen Whitmer or somebody else. Um, to get out of out of all of this, but holy smokes, I don't know what the deal is uh, with the people in Michigan. It's it feels like it's been a while since we've had these these uh, big local stories like this. Obviously, we've got a couple of corruption cases in Indiana, um, but at the same time, it's like remember when we had a rash of these coming out of Gary? Remember that Gary? It seemed like everybody who was on the council in Gary, Indiana, was getting arrested at some point. Uh, so yeah. He apparently said, oh, he's, he's got a prior too. So he did say from 2013, that's a while ago, but uh, let's see. You still wonder how many times he's done it without getting caught. He was arrested without incident. So there you go. Unlike representative Jewel Jones, Democrat, who is facing several other charges related uh, to his D DUI, because of course he's, he's the one that was fighting with cops. They had to wrestle him to the ground. He continued to threaten them and everything else. I just, uh, by the way, to the police officers out there who refuse to allow these politicians to get away with this stuff. Thank you. Honestly, seriously. Thank you. Cause I know that, you know, it's probably just one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, I don't want to deal with this. You already got to write up the paperwork. You got to deal with transporting this person and them name dropping and telling everybody who they are. And you never know how it's going to go after that. Just thank you for not allowing them to get away with, with the DOI, please. I mean, just, I'm not pleased, but thank you for that. Uh, they, they all deserve to be arrested, charged. Constituents probably deserve to toss them out, you know, depending on, on what the uh, constituents feel about that sort of thing. And, and the parties, the respective parties, well, at least one of them, I would hope, would find a suitable replacement to replace them on the uh, the next ballot. But we'll see how that goes. We've got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Don't forget, you can get the daily show prep at theburningtruth.us. Also got a new merchandise shop up there. Just click on the store tab. Got more coming up, 95.3 MNC.